There are some people you meet in life's journey that are so inspiring, it defies logic. How could they have gone through what they went through and achieved all that they achieved in their lifetime? And such a person is today's guest, Dr. Dorothy Martin Neville, who I would classify as a relentless yes to life. Join us to find out why I'm saying this about Dr. Dorothy. Soul Nectar Show, the Soul Nectar Show. You're invited, delighted to discover who you are. Anything is possible if you believe. So join us on this beautiful journey. Soul Nectar Show, Soul Nectar Show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Soul Nectar Show, that show where we talk about all things essence, where we gather around the campfire and we share our stories of connection to that which is bigger than us, to the great mystery beyond the veil, the synchronistic moments, the mystical revelations, and what we're doing here on earth. What are we doing here? We're all trying to figure that out. We're experiencing things and we're enjoying life and some things we don't enjoy and other things we do. And, you know, and then we have some beautiful revelations about all of those experiences we have. And, and this is a place I love to have those conversations and just explore it a little deeper just because I like to go deep into the ocean. I'm your host, Carrie Hummingbird, and I love these kind of conversations. It's the kind of thing that just really lights me up ever since I was a little kid and I heard my dad and my mom around the the dinner table with their friends at a, the adult parties in the 70s talking about all kinds of mystical things and I was like in rapt attention you know like this is fascinating so I, I I'm so excited to be hosting Soul Nectar show and delivering you weekly episodes and today's guest is a friend of mine for the Evolutionary Business Council uh, Dr. Dorothy Martin Neville welcome Dr. Dorothy hi thank you it's good to be here so, you know, she, this, this lady a, is a powerhouse. She's an international speaker, best-selling author, executive leadership coach, consultant, and the past president of the National Speakers Association in Connecticut. She's founded four companies, including the Institute of Healing Arts and Sciences, where as a leader in the field of integrative health in the United States for 19 years, she's trained thousands of physicians, nurses, and other medical practitioners, as well as non-medically trained individuals in the field of energy medicine. And you guys know I love energy medicine. I'm all about it. So she's, uh, she's also founded the nonprofit Institute for Energy Medicine Research, where her work was funded in researching the psychological and spiritual causes of various diseases. And aren't we all interested in that on this show? Oh, yes, we are. So there's so much more to know about her. But, you know, so I, what I really, what really wowed me, because she's, she's got so much training. I mean, what else is there? She's a psychotherapist. I mean, there's, there's so much to say. She used to be a nun. I mean, come on. I don't even know what else. It's, it's like, You've lived about 10 different lifetimes in this one lifetime. So what uh, I was so wowed because you, uh, Dr. Dorothy spoke at um, the Evolutionary Business Council annual retreat. And man, just it touched my heart so much. It touched my heart. So mm -hmm. inspiring what you've been through. And um, I would love for you to share with us um, some of your story about what you went through. Oh, um, oh, my distant past. Yeah, I was um, raised in an orphanage for the first few years. I was the product of an affair. 
in my mother's first marriage. And so at birth, I was placed in an orphanage for a few years. And, um, and another one of her husbands found out there was an Irish child in an orphanage and didn't like the idea. So he adopted me and brought me back to live with my birth mother, her mother, an older brother and a younger sister. And so I moved in with them um, in a way. When he brought me home, my grandmother and mother did not believe an illegitimate child belonged in the home, a good Irish Catholic home. So my dad would get me up around 5.30 in the morning and give me breakfast and put me in a sunsuit or a snowsuit, depending on the season, and put me in a playpen outside and where I would stay until about 9.30 at night when my grandmother went to bed. He would come out and get me and bring me in and give me dinner and put me to bed and get me up in the morning until I was around six. And then she fell, broke a hip and was placed in a nursing home. And then I lived in that house, which was not the nicest place. He had a great deal of Irish pride, but he was also an Irish alcoholic and policeman. So it was um, a pretty dangerous place. But I, you know, when I reached, reached 17, I made it out. And when I reached 17, I graduated from high school and I had wanted to go to college, but we lived in the housing projects in the inner city. And when you're raised in the housing projects, you know, who has the money to send a whole group? Irish never have two or three children. They have a pile, you know? So my dad could send the boys to school, but didn't feel he had money for the girls. And so college was out and I applied to nursing school, found out I went to an unaccredited inner city school. So that was out also. So um, they told me no nursing school in the United States could accept me because it was none, even though I, I've been blessed academics as a breeze, but it was irrelevant. Um, it was an unaccredited high school. And so therefore the nursing schools couldn't take me. And I was going to get married with, in Southie, you graduated May, you got married in June, you know? Um, so I was going to marry, I had a wonderful boy, but we, we, were, we were babies. Now I look at it, we were babies, but thought of course we were grown up and sophisticated at the time, but which would, would have been fine, but I wanted a bigger picture. And I had to choose in the bigger picture. The only way out was I um, applied to become a Catholic nun and discovered many communities because nuns did social work and I wanted to do social work. But um, I found out many Catholic communities, most do not allow illegitimate children in the convent. And so I was rejected from different communities. And eventually um, my, one of my teachers, my parish priest wrote about a thousand communities around the globe. And they found one in Quebec that was under a bishop and not a cardinal or the pope and they were willing to take a chance you know and we used to joke about the french are much more open to sexuality so they don't mind illegitimate children at all so i could go and and become a nun and and um with the french canadian community and i did that and once i had a long black habit on as we used to wear you know these long black habits with rosary beads that go down to the floor and all of that um then Mother Superior one day said, sister, I'm going to send you to college. There's a few of you I'm sending over. We went to an all-male school. It was male, female, or religious. And I was an or religious. I wasn't male or female. I was just a religious. And so I went over. And once you have your BA, nobody cares where you went to high school. And so then the rest, master's and PhD, it's just lots of time and lots of money. And you can move on and get degrees later. So eventually I went and I was a social worker when I was inside religious life, left and came back to Southie and really couldn't find any girlfriends that I had a lot in common with by that point. Some were on welfare and living in the projects and still there with several babies. And 
I had been in religious life and been to college and was a social worker. And so I thought, let me see the world I missed for those years I was inside. So I moved to Manhattan actually and became an international airline stewardess. And so I flew about a million miles around the world and saw so many countries and so many cultures and um, loved it. And eventually I got married and I had a couple of kids. I had two adorable kids, if I may say so myself. And um, what ended up happening is I was married 15 years and I was divorced with a kindergartner and a fourth grader. And I was not going to move my children back into the housing projects. We lived in a home in the suburbs. I was not going to move them back to the inner city. That would never happen. So I had a master's. I opened up a private practice in psychotherapy and I was blessed. Three months in, I had a six month waiting list that lasted almost 17 years. You know, so I was truly blessed. And, you know, when you love what you do, I think people, people see your passion. When you're doing something you love to do, you're passionate about it, you're vibrant about it. People want that passion in their lives. And it's almost as if, um, they're hoping it's infectious. They hope it's contagious and they, they can connect with their passion. They can connect with their vibrancy, you know? So I, um, I was blessed, but about three or four years in, I became bored, not because I wasn't working hard and raising two beautiful kids, but, um, it was easy and, and we're called to grow. We're called to keep moving and growing. And I started to notice it was a pattern. Certain personalities had particular diseases. And certain, this personality style seemed to be the style that developed fibromyalgia. This personality style seemed to be the style that developed MS. This personality style developed migraines and so forth. And when I spoke to friends who were MDs, they would all say to me, no, that's a coincidence. Well, I don't believe in coincidence. So that didn't make any sense to me. So um, I went and got trained in nine modalities of integrative healthcare you know, in, in reflexology and iridology and acupressure and advanced acupressure and on and on and on. And um, started to put together all of that, plus my experiences as a therapist, as a psychotherapist, put all of those together and created my own method of energy medicine. And my students actually came up with an acronym, the WISE method, which was holistic integrated spiritual energies. And um, I opened up as once it was all done, many of those in my waiting list knew each other and said, teach us what you know while we're waiting to work with you one-on-one. -on -one. So I opened up a 10 week um, program in self healing through the human energy field and said, spirit, this seems like an ego trip, but if, if I get 10 people, I'll do this. And I ended up just putting flyers in my waiting room and 32 people showed up and I thought, oh my goodness. So I did it repeatedly again and again and again. And um, finally they said, there was a small group that came every single time I offered it. And by that point, my kids were teenagers. And I said, my God, my kids would pay somebody to listen to them, to listen to me. So they didn't have to I said, no, you keep coming. They said, it's never the same course. You, you have the same outline, but you extrapolate differently. You know, you go into different case examples. You, well, I, I any teacher, if you teach, you respond to students' questions and every student asks a different question in every class. So you go off and give more information based on the questions students ask. So they said, we're learning all the time, have a structured program. To make a long, long story short, I ended up with a four-year program in energy medicine where my, the Institute of Healing Arts and Sciences where my third and fourth year students did medical internships. And because they were from different states and different countries and whatever, they could do it wherever they went 
wherever they lived. So they would come and study with me every two months, all day, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday for four years, and then do the medical internships wherever they lived. So I ended up hiring so many different people. I had needed nurses or nurse practitioners to oversee the medical internships because every hospital had different regulations. And then I went from just being me teaching to something very different and ending up with many teachers and TAs and all kinds of things in a big office with full-time employees making $70,000 a year for all of them. And it's like, oh my goodness, you know, um, this isn't just this little side thing of I'll teach you what I know in a 10-week course. Then it became a, a business. Then I was a businesswoman, like, oh my goodness me, this is, it's a whole other identity. It's a whole other way of seeing yourself and how you walk on the planet. And I, I was blessed. I was blessed. Life's quite a journey, you know. I can't hear you. Here you go. Here I'm back. <laughs> it's just your story is so amazing because it's like um, just imagining you as a little baby, you know, to to six years old, like outside by yourself in a playpen, all yeah. day long. Well, and when you live in the housing projects. If, if you've ever seen stories about the housing projects, they are every building has many, many, many apartments. And um, what happens is during the day, not in the winter, the really deep part of the winter, but all the mothers come out and they sit in the stoop. So you're in a playpen by the stoop, you've got all these mothers sitting on the stoop and all these little kids running around. And so during the day, there's lots happening, you know, um, just later when everybody went in the house, you know, that things happened. But if it really was torrential rainings, you know, um, one of the women would come out and get me and bring me into her apartment and I would stay in her apartment during, you know, while, while it was really bad out or, or heavily snowing, they would bring me in and Barbara, a woman upstairs, and I would go stay at her place, stay in her apartment with her kids and, and be there, you know, but um, yeah, you, you know, you, you can learn, we all have a story, this just happens to be my story, but everybody has a story and you can identify with, oh God, that poor little victim. And no, that never should happen to any child, you know, but we can identify with that poor little victim or we can say, what was the life lesson? What was the life lesson? And being out there until I was six, um, I really learned that I can do this. I really learned that. And when I later, um, started training in energy medicine and then became a practitioner and then opened up a school and people would say to me, but you're so intelligent. Why are you doing that work? Everybody knows it's crazy. And I would say, because I'm intelligent, I'm doing that work. <laughs> yeah. You were, I remember when you said that, I love that because I'm intelligent. I've just, I've realized these things and now I'm sharing it. Yeah. And so, um, but not everybody can do that. You know, so I think learning that we can do this, learning that you can stand on your own, learning early that it's my journey. I, I make this or I don't make this, you know, and, and not knowing if I would come out alive or if I would come out sane out of that craziness I grew up in, in that house. Um, I came out alive and I came out sane, depending on who you talk to. And there I was. And, you know, so then that, that independence made being a pioneer 
being somebody who was questioned, you know, somebody insecure or, and we all have insecurities. Don't for a moment want to pretend I don't have insecurities. We all have them or maybe we may not live there, but we go there when we're feeling vulnerable or wounded or whatever the case may be. But um, somebody who lives with that, I am that, that knowing is that person that can be a pioneer who can say, I believe in this style of medicine. I believe that her certain personalities develop particular disorders. I believe this is truth. Then there you go. You've got it, you know, because there's a belief in it. And um, you need to get that strength somewhere. And I believe we're all born with that strength, but we all have to activate that connection to that strength because many of us don't connect to that because we're so frightened of being powerful, especially women. We are so frightened of being powerful that many of us deny that amount of strength, deny that amount of ability to be and to become whatever we're called to. And isn't that really part of the transition we're in right now? Because we've been living in a patriarchal construct for about 4,000 years now, and mm -hmm. we're switching now, we're switching directions, we're switching into the feminine and a balanced, you know, balanced masculine, balanced feminine. We're moving into that place of harmony. So, you know, there's going to be a little whiplash, I think, well, you know, yeah. as we move into this new territory collectively. And, and yeah, we have to learn how to stand for women, need to learn how to stand for ourselves now and kind of eliminate some of these programs we've been given in our brains, like about, you know, being a damsel in distress and being rescued by some man right. who's on a shining steed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, like they know what to do somehow that the men have the answers and they just, they just, they intuitively know, they know what to do. And they just like, if you just find one of those men things that they, you know, life would be all right. Well, think, just think about, <laughs> think about the burden we placed on men. Totally. Our job is to rescue all the women on the planet. That's a heck of a burden to put on somebody. And then the illusion that women can't rescue themselves, you know, so we've got both men and women living, living under the weight of these ridiculous expectations um, or lack of expectation that they are facing, which is so absolutely unfair across the board. So when we step back from that, we then can begin to see, you know, I, my last book, I've written eight books and my last book um, is entitled Real Women Change the World. Oh, I the, love that. Letting the good girl die so the real woman can live. And it's because we create this illusion, even in the C-suite, as an executive leadership coach, I have worked with women who are managing divisions of hospitals. I've worked with women on Wall Street who are merging many companies into one. And they are now going from being the CEO of this size company, this CEO, to becoming this CEO. And because I founded four companies, I can support them. And what do they outsource? What do they insource? Who do they promote? What do they do? And how do they, how do let people go who don't fit the new culture of the company? And all of that's, that's easy, practical stuff. The real job is to take her from this leader to this leader. All right. That as an executive leader should cope. It's can, can I support them? Are they willing to be supported in becoming this this leader, all right, of this size company that will continue to grow as they will continue to grow in and of themselves. So it really, um, my experience is that, yes, when it, we're talking corporate, 
there are a hundred glass ceilings that need to be broken. All right. But we also need to be in the place that when we break it, we walk through standing up in the I am ready to lead. And we don't stand up simply grateful and apologetic for being who we are. So there yeah, are apologetic. I love that you just said that. There is that apology, that inherent apology. Uh, I'm so sorry for taking up my space. You know, excuse me. You know, how many times does a woman say excuse me during the day? And you end up apologizing really for your existence. And in my book, there's a whole chapter on communication and how frequently women apologize. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And if we could stop saying, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry, but could you tell me what time it is? How about just, excuse me, could you tell me the time? My phone just lost its charge or I don't have my phone with me. Could you tell me what time it is? You know, excuse me. Uh, um, that sounds like an adult woman asking a question. Oh, I'm so sorry. I don't mean to inconvenience you. I don't want to bother you. Would you really mind? I hope it's okay. What time is it? Now I've gone to three years old and they're going to pat me on the head and say, it's okay, sweetheart. It's three o'clock. You know, excuse me? No, no, I'm not going to do that to myself. So it really comes down in having permission from you to exist, mm. from you to be infinitely powerful from you to know that being very powerful doesn't mean I'm done. You know, being infinitely powerful doesn't mean I'm not going to mess up on occasion or I'm not going to want to cry or get angry or lash out. It just means that I know when I want to do those things, I'm going to take a deep breath and I'm going to be the woman I want to be, not the woman I default into. And it, it also doesn't mean swinging the other way and becoming, because I think this is where I know along my journey, and I've heard other women talk about this, uh, not wanting to be forceful and aggressive and pushy and, you know, what we've identified as masculine ways of, of control power over, not wanting to be that. And of course, you know, my mom's generation, that was kind of like, you kind of had to push forward, like push into it to get any kind of status or anything like that. And now there's like a softening of that. It's like, well, I want to be feminine and I want to be myself and whatever that's natural for me. And I want to show up in my full presence as that. And, and then be acting from my authentic place. Like I like what you're talking about there, rather than being in force. There's a big difference. Being in aggression and push is being in defense. You it's a reaction. It's a reaction to. You don't become aggressive until you believe somebody is against you, right? You don't use force and push unless you believe there's resistance out there. If you instead, and I don't believe in that. I don't believe in aggression. I don't believe in push. If instead you come from intent, it's a dramatically different way of approaching life. When we are in fear, we desire to control or overcome. When we are in intent, we walk in power. We're always confronting, this is the reality of the journey, we're always confronting potential obstacles or potential challenges. And we can sit and argue with somebody who says it can't be done, it can't be done, it can't be done. Yes, it can, and we can prove we can, no, it can't. Or we can simply say, correct, you might be right and walk right around them and just keep running going. 
All right, they, they may be right, it can't be done. But I know it can't be done by people who believe it can't be done. So excuse me, I'm gonna walk around you and I'm just gonna keep on going and do what I'm doing. I'm not gonna waste my time proving I'm right and you're wrong. What an absolute waste of my energy, what an absolute waste of my time. And it brings me down to a defensive state. I'm staying in intent, I'm staying in my personal power, I'm gonna walk around you and just keep on going. So we can do that. And what happens is that when we come on aggressively, we instantly put others in defense. When we come on empowered, we're not putting anything out there against you. So therefore, nobody goes into defense. They may not know what to do with us. But that's very different from they're not going to let us castrate them because it's clear it's not even on our, on our mindset. It's not in our ballpark. We're simply going forward because we want this position or we want to form this company or we want to work with this client. Excuse me, but I'd love to speak to you about. All right, there we go. And what they see is not something that frightens them. What they see is somebody who authentically is powerful. Therefore, if I'm going to work with powerful people, they need to know they are safe with me. They will not overwhelm me. They will not be stuck because now they need help and I'm too intimidated to support them. They'll know I'm not gonna be intimidated. That I may sit back for a moment, you need to be in a fight, go get it out of your system. I'll be right back when you're ready to talk. You know, now let's go forward. And it changes the dynamic enormously when you own your own I am. It truly does. Oh, that's so powerful. Yes. And, you know, this is a conversation that I've been living, but I haven't known that I was living this conversation. You yeah. know, like these conversations we're, we're in, but we don't know we're in the conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that we're all immersed in it. I mean, we're in the collective, but healing the mother wound work is all about this, like coming into knowing who I am in truth, being in my space, being able to be in my knowing and my truth, and then allow my mother to be in her truth, in her space, without needing anything from her, right? without yeah. needing her to be different. I mean, I think that's essentially what it is. Like when you can do that with the core person in your life, we're all, you know, that right. core person we all want love from is our mother. Right. So, I mean, this is the journey I think we're on right now as people, as human beings, is yeah. to step out of the of the um, the matrix of expecting others to validate us or expecting others to see things the way we do. Or, and if you don't see it, you, then you're wrong and I'm right. And this whole tangled mess that is happening, we see it all over the news. I mean, so it's yeah. So why? I mean, <laughs> Why do we need to make somebody right or wrong? Why do we need to be right or wrong? Why can't we just be? You know, our my, my mom's past, but our, our, our parents, our friends, sometimes our spouses or our partners don't agree with us. Okay, we look at this differently, period. We look at this differently. You know, um, our, our conference we just completed the three-day conference at EBC, which was exquisite from my perspective. Now, somebody else may come at it that that was very good, 
very good. You know, there are a few things I would change. And somebody else may say, oh, God, it was too damn long. I was on that computer for three days. I couldn't stand it. You know, which one of us is right? Every single one of us. Every single one of us is right. For that person, three days on a computer was deadly. All right. Wasn't my experience. Somebody else, it was phenomenal. All right. That was their experience. So whatever it was, okay. Now, as, as, a, as a member of the, the speaking, the keynote community there, if you didn't think the whole thing was phenomenal, then okay, I failed. I did something wrong. I should have made it better for you. I did something that was now I can walk away feeling badly about what I did. Or say, okay, I'm, I'm, it's unfortunate you didn't get, you didn't walk away feeling what a fantastic experience those, those three folks did. They did a phenomenal job and everybody else that helped make that happen, what a job they did and what a great job the variety of speakers did and how beautifully planned out that was, all right? Where are you coming from? What do you need to do? If you need to be really good, you're gonna to have to find everybody else who isn't quite as good. Yeah, if it's like, oh, what else? such a profound thing. It's like, this is why I've seen um, many spiritual leaders talk about, they don't pay attention to likes and all that. Because it doesn't matter. It's like at some level, the most important thing on that stage of the journey is to know in yourself how, what you delivered from your right. own heart and your own experience and to stand in that and to know that it's not going to be for everybody and that's okay. And not to expect that it's for everybody. Or, and, you know? and that I gave you the best I had to offer in that talk. Now, can I think of 14 other things I could have added? I sure can, but I had 50 minutes and then I had Q&A. So those 14 other things if I gave them and I took out 14 other things that were in there, what I have later said, oh, I know 14 other things I could have put in there. Yeah, but does that mean the whole thing was a failure? No, it simply means that I've got such a wealth of information. I taught a four-year program. I could have talked for four years. So the fact that I couldn't put it all in 50 minutes, I can use that as permission to beat myself up or an acceptance that I gave what I had with the time I had. And now if I did that same talk next week, there'd probably be some things different. Not because I lied or was wrong, but just because there's so much more who knows what I'm gonna pull from. As I have a, a talk, I read it, I go over it several times before I give it, but then you extrapolate. And who knows how I would do it if I did it again next weekend. You know, so you, you just accept. I, I give the best I can when I give. And it's also a matter of trusting, you know, yeah. trusting that, that divine flow through you and that your body and your intuition and what you're picking up in the space, it's like trusting all of that in the moment that that's what's needed right now. Yeah. And you're delivering what's needed. Yeah. I remember when I spoke at the EBC last year, 2020, at the beginning of the year, I got to close the retreat with a ceremony. Yeah. And I had this whole speech written out like on little note cards and I was going to, I was trying to memorize this thing. And I woke up in the morning two hours early and my higher self was like, Carrie, we're not doing that. I was like, what do you mean? This is too late to tell me this. <laughs> you know, it's like, 
trust me, just, just be quiet, be present, be in the presence. The presence is where all the presents are and just be there and I'll be there. I promise. I was like, okay, well, don't leave me hanging, you know, because these are my peers and I don't want to be like embarrassed. You know, this is like my first opportunity to speak and I don't want to screw it up. So he's like, well, just, just, you know, calm down. I was like, okay. So when I went into it, it was actually beautiful. It was like, I was surprised by myself. You know, I was like, wow, yeah. it just happened. You know, when you trust you and you trust spirit, yeah, it always ends up the way it's meant to be. And you know, yeah, you can perfect it better later. You can do more later. Um, but you know what? It was exactly what it was. And I used to say when I when I was coaching new new therapists going into practice, and I would say to them, they said, but "You know so much more." Well, when you've been doing it 20, 25 years, you should know so much more. I said, "But the people who come to you, newly out of grad school, are the people who need you to be there." They are not the people who would necessarily come to me. I may intimidate the heck out of them because I can see right through them in a minute. Whereas you could gently allow that to unfold or I would jump right in because I want to, you know, let's just go for it, you know. So, so they come to you where you are. And when you are five years in, the people who need you at that spot will come to you then. When you're 10 years in, you may have a very different population coming to you because they need you at that level. So it's really accepting that wherever we are, the people who come to us need us where we are at that point in time without judgment about what we did or didn't do and getting rid of good and bad, getting rid of right and wrong. If yeah, I'm all those judgments. As I was mentioning to Dr. Dorothy before we got on the call, my, my purpose gene key is working through judgment into integrity, which is really tensile strength. It's like the integrity of an object or the integrity of the of the vehicle or, you know, it's like, does it have inherent strength? You know, what, what, does it have any flaws that could use a little repair here and there, a little something to make it stronger? It's not a judgment like you're bad, you know? So it's like elevating that conversation into what I love uh, Dr. Dorothy says is a space of authenticity, you know, being authentic, knowing that there is no perfection, you know, necessarily, or we're already perfect actually, because we're infinite beings. So this is just a ruse. It's just, it's a ruse we're having right here. So we get to play this game where we get to think there's flaws, you know, and that we need to perfect this thing. Mm -hmm. So it's just fun. I mean, and it's not so fun when you're, you know, if you're in the lower vibration of it and feeling yeah. that pain of those of those energies those lower vibe energies yeah, that's difficult but but the fact is you know to me it, it's really about the more we do the more we clear and what we're clearing is not us we're already infinitely marvelous inside there but what we're doing is we recognize sometimes we're talking to somebody and think oh my god i can hear me saying that and boy how wrong that is how did i how did I betray myself in, in doing something like that? How did I betray myself in saying something like that? Let me come back and be more in touch with me. Let me come back and say, oh, do I really believe this? And if I don't, I'm not going to be saying that anymore. Oh, what do I really want to do? What do I really want to become? And when I hear me say something like, oh, well, that's too hard, I think, oh, who said that? Not the woman I am today. Whoever said that? was who I was maybe 10, 20 years ago back there. She doesn't fit because the woman today knows there's no limit. Let's just keep going. 
and therein isn't any judgment on that. I wasn't right or wrong. I wasn't good or bad. Just somebody back there showed up for a minute. Nah, nah, I don't want to listen to you. I'm going to, I'm going to listen to the woman I become, not the woman I used to be. Because no matter how long we're here, God willing, we're progressively becoming more and more us. And it just means getting rid of all those things in us, the beliefs, the behaviors, whatever, that don't reflect who we truly are that are just from our wounds or our defenses or whatever the case may be. Something we learned that we didn't realize we integrated, but it just popped up. Ooh, I'm going to get rid of that. You know? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm listening to you. And I, what I feel inside of you is I feel, and this is another one of my gene keys that I'm playing with is the difference between force, which is the shadow and strength, which is the gift and right. majesty is the city. Yeah. And I feel you in that space of, of the gift of strength and the space of majesty, because that's really what happens is that as we, as we, and many, many women talk about being queens and all this kind of thing. And I, I've, I've usually just gone, mm. but this majesty word, I love this majesty word in a sense of us, the majesty of the divine, like the, the divine is majestic yeah, and that's within us. And that gift of, of strength emanating from our core, it's like you just know who you are. Then you don't need to trifle with things that are just, you know, kind of going to drag you down. Like you just don't need to do that. Yeah. Being around anything that drags you down is such a waste. Life is There's so to- much to be enjoyed. Yeah. Life is not, and, you know, unfortunately we learn to survive. We learn to survive smallly or we learn to survive in a big way. But survival is survival. We're meant to live. We're meant to thrive. We're meant to be, you know. And w- when you're in survival, it's like, oh, God, I made it. You know, oh, God, like I got through that one. Oh, God, here we go again. Right, you know, like <laughs> what? what? What made you think you weren't going to? What was What was that about, you know? And um, it may not come out the way you want. I offered a program and... Five people showed up and I was hoping for 500. Okay, well, let's do it and then figure out later, what could I have done to change my marketing? What could I have done to reach a wider audience? What could I have done to present this differently? Or is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? Let's think about that. Not, oh my God, I can't believe I made the mistake. Oh my God, I did it all wrong. What was I thinking? Take a deep breath. I had big moments like that recently where I realized it's because I planned my new one-year program and, and I was making prayers and setting intention, right? Like, okay, I'm calling in this many people, you know, I called in like 30 people. And then I was in deep meditation with it. And I had this little voice come up and say, can you serve 30 people right now to the best and highest good? Can you really in this moment with this brand new program or should you maybe invite in a little fewer and and really get your roots in the ground and get them deep and and build something powerful and learn and give yourself space and I was like oh so (laughs) okay so then I I just opened to this possibility I said well then send me the perfect number for me right now the ones I can really serve to my highest good I just find like I'm learning more and more about my brain has these like these ideas that bigger is better, but actually like there's something really beautiful about potency and that deep connection and, and the sense of fulfillment that I get when I'm really serving somebody like 
from my heart. And I have space during the week. Like I'm not completely overwhelmed by all this going on. There's too many people, right? Uh, Yeah. So there's like quality of life. There's so much to learn. And I feel like this is the divine feminine coming in because she's asking us, do you really need all that on the outside? We need to be nurtured. And that's the divine feminine. We need to be nurtured by the divine. And if I'm being nurtured because I have 30 people in this and that nurtures me, then I'm going to have more than enough to give them. If 20 would nurture me, 30 would. Me, yeah. Why are we doing 30? You know, exactly. So- I had to ask. Right. But our culture says the more, the more, the more, the more, because that's how you're supposed to make lots of money. Therefore, you'll be a great success. At what? You know, so let's look at 20. I could nurture them and be nurtured within me. Perfect number, you know, and there we go. And it's that permission, which doesn't say I'm not qualified. I could never do 100 or 500. Yes, you could. It would just be a different format, but you could do it. But for right now, this is the format you're working with. This is the number that works for the format you're doing where you are in your life today. And maybe next year you'll have a different format and you can do 500 and that will work out for you. So it really is, that isn't success and this is failure. This is on the way to that success. This is pure success. Yes, this is pure success. Because it matches where you are. You are being fed. They are being fed. So everybody is winning, you know, and you bring that wealth of experience to whatever you do next. I love that you just detached this is like this from the future. Like, it's like, it doesn't matter. This is the now. Yep. And right now this is perfect. Absolutely. And so tomorrow is another now. And so I might make a different decision. (laughs) (laughs) But I had to like predict that or set some pathway to that. I don't know who I'm going to be tomorrow. When you, when you were fully (laughs) present and if today you say today, I'm going to do a one year and I'm going to do it with 20 and 20 people sign up before midnight tonight, you're done. Now, tomorrow you say, I could handle 500. Okay, well then, you've got this going. Let that be what it is. And while you're doing that, if you have the time, create a new format. And then once this is established and you're out of that initial angst of getting it going, once that's established, you create a new format. Now you look for 500 for this. This wasn't a failure. This prepared you for this. Life is... Preparing us for what is coming, even when we can't see it. Everything we do is preparation for the next step. I love that. And then what a powerful lesson you learned from right from your birth to be strong inside and to tune into that inner guidance. Yeah. I actually love that you were outside in nature. You know, you were in the fresh air, you know, that that has got to have opened you up to to that support and that knowing and the community all around you, knowing that somebody's going to, somebody's going to take care of you. Somebody's going to take you in. You're not going to be left out there. That's beautiful. I had this other idea when you were sharing the story and I was like, Oh no, this poor little child, you know, then, and then when you're sharing it, it's like, well, Oh, that's a totally different way to look at it. You're, you actually learned that you would be cared for no matter what. So always notice that whatever our story, there are many ways of viewing it. You know, and yes, you're right, that poor little girl. Yes, you're right, she was out there by herself. Yes, you're right, nobody ever should go through that. But yes, you're also right, the life lessons were amazing. 
yes, why, why I was out there, I could see all the pain so many people sitting on that stupor and I could see how abused and beaten they were literally. And I could see how terrified children were, how some were acting out in rage and some were disappearing and some were just living in their own little world and it worked for them. So that even by six could be at a place where I wanna grow up and help people so they don't have to live under these conditions of the people in the housing projects. And not knowing a thing, I never, until I was an adult, knew anybody who lived in an actual house. I only knew people who lived in projects and in tenements. And then I lived in a convent. And when I left the convent and I moved to Manhattan, I lived in an apartment again. So it wasn't until later that I learned people actually live in homes, what we consider homes, freestanding houses. But, you know, has that wounded me enormously? Not in a single second. I've owned a number of homes, you know, and each home I owned was progressively bigger than the house before. And then I chose to rent because I have more fluidity. You can just pack up and go. And each home I rent is progressively smaller than the last one because I realized I don't need all this. <laughs> so there's, there's this, you know, we, we, we go through different cycles. And when you have permission to go through as many cycles as you choose to go through, none of them are right or wrong. They're where you are at the moment, you know? I may decide next year, okay, I think I want to buy a house again, you know, but maybe I won't. It's, it, there's, why do you have to do whatever some culture says is the way it's supposed to be? You know, you decide how you want to do it. And if it fits the integrity of where you are and who you are in that moment, it's absolutely the right choice for you. And trust that. And if it comes from your soul's essence, which I think all of our dreams do, I think... I think our dreams are our soul's way of calling us to the next step in our journey. And when you trust that, you end up never having to worry about who you're hurting because not a soul is wounded, not a soul is devastated by a choice you make. What ends up happening is the soul may be freed, you know, and they move on because it's time. What may end up happening is that when you make this choice, somebody else gets to have that house you didn't want. You know, everything changes. And without thinking about what's right, what's wrong, oh God, I'm paralyzed because I don't want to make the wrong decision. My God, we make our lives so difficult. <laughs> and there's no need. There's no, this is meant to be a joyful adventure, you know? Yes, joyful adventure. Absolutely. I'm feeling your words there. This is a joyful adventure. Live your life, be inspired, take what comes and, and use it as raw material to build what you want. Like, it, you're fully. here, you're co-creator. Jump in fully because life is meant to be lived. <laughs> Jump in fully because life is meant to be lived. Wow, so many great quotes. Thank you so much, Dr. Dorothy. Um, I want to offer you a chance, like where people want to get started with you or find out more about what you're doing, what's a good place for them to start? We love it. They can go to askdrdorothy.com. Or they, and it's A-S-K-D-R-D-O-R-O-T-H-Y, askdrdorothy.com, or email me at dorothy at askdrdorothy.com. You know, if this is before the 22nd, on the 22nd, I'm starting free one-hour webinar on how your personality and leadership style impact your health. Awesome. We'll be there for those who, who find that interesting. All right. That's Gorgeous. It. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed this. And, and, you know, now's the part where I'm going to invite you to share it out. 
go and uh, give us a, a like on iTunes or YouTube or anywhere else you found the podcast, because that's what helped the engines to connect it with other people. They say, oh, people must like that. They put some energy into it. They engaged with it. So give us that and share it out and we'll get Dr. Dorothy's message out there more and inspire somebody who's maybe going through a little bit of poor me and needs a little infusion of, hey, this is your life adventure. Don't waste your time on that. (laughs) (laughs) That poor me is sure tough. Thank you so much. It's been such a joy spending time with you and getting to be better. Yes, absolutely. So I'm going to give everybody kisses. You are welcome to join me. Here comes the kisses, everybody. We love you. God, I'll receive. Thank you, darling. (laughs) See you all next time on Soul Nectar Show. Bye for now. Bye-bye. To dive in deeper to nourishing conversation, visit soulnectar.show. Take a sip from the drip of nectar From the source of who you are Yeah, yeah